Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. What is up, everybody? Uh, Before we get this episode, I just got to talk about uh, some craziness in the IP that's happening right now. Uh, Obviously, everybody on the face of the earth right now is concerned about the coronavirus, uh, whether it's... Um, the virus itself, dealing with, you know, some of the crazier people out there that are stealing or and uh, stockpiling, all the people out there that are stockpiling uh, a lot of goods and, you know, making it difficult for people to find what they need at the grocery store. Um, I know I spent time today looking for wipes and to no avail for my daughter, which was uh, not fun. Uh, but I know it's definitely a scary time. But um, unfortunately, right now, there's also a lot of IFB churches uh, particularly one that was covered on the first episode of the show that are taking advantage of the situation to um, add an extra layer of fear and guilt onto their congregants. And so um, at Pastor Reeves, so Pastor Bill Reeves, who was mentioned in the first episode, if you haven't listened to that episode with uh, with Paul yet, you should listen to it. But uh, Pastor Bill Reeves, who is a troublesome, uh, problematic figure, uh, when I'm putting it nicely, uh, has gone out of his way the last couple of days along with his son, uh, at, uh, I believe it's at David Paul Reeves. Uh, they've just been tweeting about the coronavirus. Um, and they actually, this is really the gross part, actually put out a uh, link to purchase tracks regarding the coronavirus. And so the track kind of is a fake out. It says facts about the coronavirus. And then it has like one line about that. And then on the back side it says, the real important virus is sin, and it gives you steps to the cure for that sin. So imagine you get a pamphlet and you think it's about curing uh, the coronavirus or prevention and taking care of your family, and on the back, it's a uh, flimsy invitation to attend their church service, which they um, are still having. Um, they put out that they're still going to have services uh, as of when this released, I guess today. Um, they said they wiped down the pews, so everything should be good. <laughs> this is not a joke, by the way. I'll add some screenshots in the show notes. I wish it was. Uh, there's actually some posts on the Preacher Boys page, so you can actually check it out there. Uh, just go to facebook.com slash preacherboysdoc or twitter.com slash preacherboysdoc or Instagram at preacherboysdoc, and you can see those posts. You could go visit also uh, right straight from the horse's mouth. Go to twitter.com slash, um, I want to say at past. So it's his Twitter handle is at P-A-S-T-O-R-E-E-V-E-S. And his son, I believe, is at D-A-V-I-D-P-A-U-L-R-E-E-V-E-S. And uh, actually, his son was promoting that on the bus route, they're having toilet paper Sunday. Uh, so all the kids can come and get a sheet of toilet paper. So that's kind of their gimmick they're going with right now. When people are trying to find supplies, uh, they're doing some kind of uh, giveaway, which is frustrating. Um, it's It's one of those things where the... 
the way they're acting would be funny if it wasn't so frustrating and disappointing uh, to see people that call themselves a church and a guy that calls himself a pastor and a son that calls himself an assistant pastor or whatever he calls himself, um, some staff member at the church, uh, really acting this way. Um, and then there was another tweet by uh, a good friend of their ministry, uh, William Tyson. Uh, I don't remember his handle, but again, um, just search his name and find the connection where he it's there. And he was like, is this a day where, you know, the America will see the church crumble or is it a day where we'll stand behind our pulpits and continue on? And it's just a really disappointing way. It, it, it's disappointing to see. I mean, it's not unexpected to see IFB churches act this way, but it's always disappointing. And so um, I just want to say just from the bottom of my heart, I hope all of you are staying safe. Hope you guys are doing well out there. And really, if, if if you're a church, if you're someone involved in a ministry, if you're a Christian in general, I just have to say, like, don't use a time where people are panicked, scared, trying to take their families to push your agenda, to push guilt on people about not coming to church or not going to a Bible study. It's, it's ridiculous. And so um, just all of you out there from the bottom of my heart, from the Preacher Boys podcast, I wish you guys the best. Hope you guys stay safe, kick back. Uh, I know I've just been sitting back, getting some work done, and then spent the night just watching movies and hanging out with my family. And I hope you guys uh, have a good time doing doing similar stuff, whether it's movies, podcasts, books. There's plenty of good stuff. If I wanted to recommend a book, um, I just finished uh, Combating Cult Mind Control by Stephen Hassan, a really good audio book. I really hope I can eventually get him on the show, but um, he's definitely a bigger name, so it's going to take time and just going back and forth. So... Uh, but yeah, just uh, you guys really take care of yourselves during this time. I wanted to address that. I had to call out Reeves on that stuff because it is. It's just disappointing. And uh, I think it's a great way to show that some of this craziness in the IFB is not just, you know, 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Like it's happening still to this day. And uh, it continues to be disappointing, but yet unsurprising nonetheless. But anyway, with that quick note, uh, let's go ahead and jump into this uh, episode. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Eric Skwarzynski, and you're listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast. On today's episode, I interview Austin. Austin brings a unique perspective to the show for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of the biggest being he was there at Hiles Anderson College during the time period when Jack Scop was arrested. Uh, it was a super interesting uh, story to hear from him as far as how that went down when he was attending and really gives a behind the curtain look at what the experience of attending the college when Jack Scop was there was really like. Um, Austin is also a transgender male, and so he talks a lot about his experience attending Hiles Anderson College 
as a female. Uh, talks about the uh, lackluster sex education classes, the way women were treated, and how that differed from the way men were treated. Uh, talks about a lot of just really interesting perspectives and topics uh, regarding the school and growing up at a preaching like what Jack Kyle's promoted regarding uh, women being ultra subservient, almost to a slave-like state, uh, to their husbands, uh, blaming victims, things like that. Uh, so we get into that. We also talk about Austin's service inside the Air Force and comparing the military background to the IFB from going to one of the most notoriously rigid IFB schools to transferring to the military and what the differences were there and uh, how that really leveled up and how we learned a lot of uh, really key things like what consent was. Um, so we have a really open dialogue. I think it's a really good episode. And I think there's a lot here. Um, there's a lot of really fascinating insights. And so I hope you guys will really enjoy the episode. I'm so glad that Austin reached out. It was funny. I asked how he heard about the show. And he said he had just found it about a week ago and was really just binging it uh, on Spotify. And so I was really excited uh, that it left a big enough impact for him to reach out. And so we could sit down and have this discussion. Like I said, it's a really great discussion. And I know that there's a lot of interesting insight, uh, particularly just to that college um, experience at Hiles Anderson. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. If you enjoy it, leave a five-star review on iTunes. Let other people know. It helps boost me in the algorithms. The, the podcast is actually at number 190 on the charts of the true crime section, which is a really big category for it to be ranking in right now, which is kind of cool. So the more interviews that, or the more reviews, sorry, that come in, the more chances that's going to spike up. I really appreciate all the support of the show so far, and I hope you guys continue to do so and uh, hope to keep putting out some good content for you guys. So without any further ado, let's get into the episode. All right, Austin, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. I look forward to chatting with you a little bit. Yeah. Can you give me just a little bit of background as far as uh, how you were introduced to the IFB movement? Um, well, I was, I was born into it. Um, my family, is, my parents went to Hiles Anderson. They actually met there, and um, they were there back when um, the Joy Rider was there as well. And my mom said she, she knows her. So um, that's kind of, you know, we were, I was born, you know, I had to, so this is, a, I think this is important to note. Um, I was actually born female. I am a transgender man. So I was born into it, had to wear skirts my whole life, um, had to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. My parents sent me to soul winning at age 10 or 11. Um, so we were, we were just, it was just my life. What, what was your experience like? Obviously a second generation within this movement. What was your, what was your initial experience or, or attitude toward that environment was it generally positive growing up did it start negative or was it something where it was you 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 felt really comfortable until a certain point what was kind of your experience um it was it was um pretty positive I kind of just was like well this is you know I wanted to as growing up I wanted to please my parents I wanted to please God um and you know of course there's a lot of shame that comes along with that you know when you're a kid and you just like do normal kid things. And then you're like, I wore pants once and I was like breaking the rules. <laughs> so, and then I would always right. like repent after, after that. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of do right by everybody, which also added a, a lot of stress. <laughs> right. And so what was the, what was the first point where you started really feeling 
that stress, like what age would you say it switched from, hey, everything's normal, this is life, to like kind of questioning where you were at? Um, I actually went, I went all in and uh, went to Hiles Anderson and everything because that's what, you know, I was taught to do. Uh, my parents sent me to youth conference because as you mentioned in previous episodes, I think maybe, maybe some of your interviewees have mentioned um, that youth conference is electric and it's kind of like, that's the um, right. recruiter, you know, that, that, so my parents had me go into those um, when I, when I was just, when I got to high school. So, and in 2009, I graduated high school and I was like, well, Hiles Anderson, you know, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to be a missionary. And this is, you know, what God wants me to do. And then um, come 2011, 2012, I kind of still was all in, but I was still also questioning. Like at Hiles Anderson, I was actually secretly getting tattooed over my, like, like over my entire body and trying to hide it from my roommates. Everything. That's a big thing to hide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause you know, we're all stuffed in rooms in the, in the dorms. I think I was in Hiles dorms for a while. Okay. And, and I had four, three roommates and we were in this very tiny room and I put a shower curtain up actually so I could hide my tattoos from them. <laughs> uh, but um so right the, the I think the moment when when everything hit the news with Jack Scop and how at first I couldn't believe it and and then I was like wait what am I what am I doing? <laughs> why am I here? And why did I absolutely like believe everything this man says from the pulpit when he's you know doing all this stuff under the books, you know, and taking right. people state lines and you know saying that it's god's will for him to do that stuff with them you know and it's just it was crazy right so so that was kind of your breaking point so like obviously and i think this is important to like kind of your connection with it like obviously you were already having some like disagreements like obviously you didn't see tattoos as a big deal or things like that which yeah. you know I think most people would agree it's not a huge deal. Yeah. But but what was it that was, I guess, motivating you to attend, even though you necessarily, like, if you had those disagreements or things moving forward, like, why did it take such a large story to kind of knock you out of, like, that movement completely, if you weren't really bought into the, the ideology, I guess? Um, I guess it could be just, uh, it could have been just, finishing what I started because I started Hiles Anderson onto the Jericho program. And I'm sure you've heard about that. It's a thing that Jack Scott started. And I actually haven't. So I'd, I'd be curious for some context on that. So it was a big, it was a big, big push to get more students, right? Back in 2008, um, Jack Scott introduced it and he said, this is a program where, where you're, you go attend Hiles Anderson and your freshman and sophomore year is free, free of charge. So and naturally it got, it got a lot of students. A lot of my friends went for that reason. And the, the thing that they would do is they said, if you quit before, before these two years, before you're, you're done with your college degree, you have to pay back those first two years, which was obviously like, it was an empty threat because Hiles Anderson is not accredited and they couldn't, <laughs> they didn't have the money to put the lawsuits, you know, into, into it. You know, and a lot of my friends quit. And I guess Jack Scott, when, when he was starting to, towards the end, when, when, before he got caught, right before he got caught, he started saying some, some weird things from the pulpit. And I never really noticed it um, because I was just so, 
kind of, you know, just in with the the whole thing. And I'm like, well, what he's saying must be true because he's, you know, he's God's, God's right. servant, you know? And um, he, one day at the pulpit, he said, all of you people who quit before the Jericho program, just leave. We don't want you here. You don't have to pay us back. Just go. I don't ever want to deal with you again. Hmm. He might've said that at chapel. I don't remember if it was at chapel or if it was at the, the, the church in Hammond. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people quit and I just wanted to finish what I started. And I thought maybe that's, that's what I need to do. And I didn't realize like how pointless an unaccredited degree is in the real world. <laughs> right. I should have just quit early. <laughs> gotcha. So, so what was that experience like, like kind of deciding to, to step away and leave? Was that a, was at that point a really difficult conversation with family? Did you have a lot of pushback from like from friends and stuff at that time? Or at that point were you so far like gradually like moving away from it that it wasn't that big of a shock to people? I actually graduated. Um, so my family was pretty proud of me at that okay. moment. And, and then I kind of slowly was still in that area and I was planning on joining the military, which my family was not into but I interesting that's really interesting to me um what was the pushback as far as the military side um well back at that time uh, i was female and my dad doesn't agree with um females joining the military um, right, okay which is extremely outdated at this point because obviously there's that's we're way past that as a country I think. right <laughs> right it was i was surprised when you said that because i was like man usually like and I know, especially even at Hiles, like there's such a patriotic bent to everything. I was like, I'm surprised there would be pushback to that. But I guess well, that makes sense in that context. I also, I've seen a lot of people from that college um, graduate, from the IFB movement, um, when they kind of feel lost, I've seen a lot of them join the military, which I feel like the military was, is kind of good for people to join because we grew up with all that structure, right? We, we had all these rules and yeah. you can't, can't go to movie theaters, can't, can't do anything. And joining the military kind of helped me not go off the deep end. Deep end, because you know the term preacher boys, like like uh, preachers' kids, they are all once they leave the church. If they do leave, they they kind of get go crazy, right? Right. <laughs> they, they try everything that they didn't try before. Exactly. And I kind of have the military to thank for that because I joined, and they're like, "Well, you can't do drugs." So I was like, "Well, I can't do that." <laughs> right. So it kind of helped me. I feel like get structure back in my life but not part of the IFB part of it, you know? So how similar was the experience of, you know, attending a, a notoriously strict college and being in a military background? I had someone um, on a previous episode who had military background as well. And, you know, I kind of, being someone who has been in the military, I was like, well, it seems like it would just be pretty similar to growing up in a strict IFB college or church. And he was like, no, that wasn't at all the experience that I had. But I'm curious to your experience. Yeah. Was there was there a similarity? Did you feel like it was a similar environment? Or did you feel one was healthier or unhealthier than the other? What was kind of your, your personal experience? Um, in some aspects, I feel like the military is healthier. Um, for example, um, the Air Force, that's the branch that I am currently still serving in. Um, okay. It taught me a lot about boundaries and like in the IFB movement, I was not taught about sex. You know, in my high school, um, they passed around the rose and they were like, everybody who touches this rose, look at this rose now, it's dirty. 
happy. That's what you're going to do to your body if you have sex before marriage. And what el- what other sex ed do you need? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Just abstinence and yeah. And so the military kind of taught me like, no, you know, consent is a thing. Because after I didn't really know what consent was. I was just like, I wasn't taught that. I was taught at House Anderson, they had Christian womanhood classes where we'd, we'd sit in the Christian womanhood class and and Mrs. Scoff would get up there and say, you know, she had she had all these notes and she's like, well, when your husband wants to have sex with you, you have to, you have to do it because he's, you know, he's God's chosen one or whatever. Right. And look where that got her, you know? <laughs> right. And so I wasn't really taught that I could consent as a person and, and it's not women's fault when, when people, when people sexually assault them because of the way they're dressed, you know, cause that's what I was taught. Like your, yeah. like your clip from the last episode I listened to uh, Jack Hiles getting up there and saying, um, you know, women are harlots, you know, they're the ones tempting men and stuff. That was crazy. Right. My dad would play those, those preaching tapes as a kid. And I remember all those sermons. Right. Ugh. So, so, you know, we've, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, consent and about like a lack of like sexual education. And obviously it's, I mean, it's especially no secret now what with the lawsuit against tiles um, that there was a lot of sexual misconduct, sexual abuse, was that something that you experienced? Is it something you you saw friends or or especially attending the college? Is it something that you saw firsthand or that you you know that others within maybe the dorms experienced? Or did your was your experience relatively was it more of a shock when like a news like Scop came out? Was it more oh, it, like it was definitely a shock. I didn't notice anything. You know, I, I the main things I noticed were my friends who would get a little close to their boyfriends or whatever. Right. And um, that's a normal thing, you know, for normal right. things. It's nothing to be ashamed about either. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I'm always, I've always been back when I was, you know, at the school, I, I think I was like not one of the pretty popular girls either. So, right. <laughs> which was fine by me. I'm really glad I didn't get married or anything. Cause could you imagine, right? That, that would have been a little messy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, there's, you know, there's a lot of patient, like that, that one guy in a previous episode, episode who he married his wife as part of the movement, the West coast uh, guy. And right. she, she stayed with him and like, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, that's really, that's really cool. And, and like, even, even me, I was pretty well past it, but I think it's just, I mean, people change so much anyway. Like, and I always am like, man, I look at who I was when she married me and like even my interests and things and like my perspectives on life and how much things have changed. And so it's like, it's crazy to me. Like I think of how I was when I first left the movement and like versus now. And I'm like, man, if I would have got married right then, it would have been such a jarring shift in personality. Um, But yeah, I think it's awesome when people who did can kind of grow out of it together because that's pretty rare. Yeah. Um, so, so what was your experience having left the movement? So like, I mean, it seems like you have a, at least some relationship with family now. Um, you know, was it obviously as you shifted away from it, did people in your family shift away from you? Did you feel this like cloud over you as far as like having, you know, maybe not attending three times a week or not hitting all the standards? Like what was that kind of transition like? 
Well, um, it was definitely at first, you know, I got a lot of pushback, but the main person was my dad. Um, My siblings and my my mom, I think she's, the main thing was my tattoos kind of gotten more noticeable and I couldn't, I couldn't hide them anymore. And my mom noticed and she was like, she's like, I don't care. I'll always love you. And I was like, sweet. And I tried to hide it from my dad as much as possible and kind of got a lot of pushback. And then when I came out to them, like I was going to go, I was going to go home for Christmas one year and I wanted to bring my boyfriend at that time for them to meet. And we were going to just stay at a hotel. And my dad said, absolutely not. Just don't come home because I know that you're having premarital sex if you're staying at a hotel with your boyfriend. Right. So back, back then that was when my siblings were all, I have, I have six siblings so, you know, your typical Baptist family, uh, my dad would always quote the verse in Proverbs, fill your quiver full of arrows. <laughs> like, okay. So that means you have to have so many kids that you can't afford. <laughs> right. Um, so my, I'm the second oldest. Um, so my younger siblings, they were all still at home at then. And they started to rebel, at, quote unquote, rebel. Um, get significant others and move out and smoke and stuff like that. And I think they kind of desensitized my dad. So he's come around a little bit. Um, okay. Cause he's like, well, I can't before, you know, when he told me never to come home, now my siblings live with their boyfriends and, and girlfriends and my dad still hangs out with them. I think it was right. just cause I was the first one who was doing that, that he kind of had that pushback at first. And now he's kind of like, ah, whatever. I give up. <laughs> right. and, and they're still active within that movement. Um, my, my parents definitely are. Um, none of my siblings though, cause we had it all shoved down our throats growing up. So we were just done right. I think, once we left the house. Right. Yeah. I mean, no, at a certain point, and I mean, I've, I've talked about this in prior episodes too, at a certain point, I think from a parent perspective, you just get to a point where you're like, am I going to force my children to be clones and eventually burn them out? Or am I going to pursue the relationship, share what I think is valuable, and then allow them to take what they think is valuable from that? And so, I mean, I'm happy to hear that your story isn't necessarily like cut off contact, no communication kind of thing, which mm-hmm. is which is all too common. Well, uh, I, don't, I definitely don't think my parents are that far yet. My dad definitely... As my dad, um, this past Christmas, for example, he he has uh, cancer and he came, mm. he told us on Christmas Day and, and then he's like, one thing I'll take to my grave. And this is what he said. He said, um, all you kids need to get back with God and you all need to, to, to uh, come back to Jesus, basically. And he's okay. going to be praying for us till the day he dies. And I was like, well, not exactly there yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Um, so I want to, this is like a hard detour, but I, I, I am curious just because I, I think this is a perspective I haven't really gotten to hear even from off record conversations. Um, and then we can, we can jump back in. So this might be a weird jump, but when, when the news, so you were in your senior year when the news about Scott broke? I believe it was the summer of my junior year and I, I was staying for the summers. Um, after my freshman year, I stayed every summer and worked. Um, okay. So I believe it was I was sitting in uh, in the in the dorms and chilling when I got the news. And who can you can you just break down? Because at that point you were still semi bought in. Yes. Um, yeah. 
can you can you kind of talk through that day and how that news was broke and then just like what your like what was the conversation generally like around campus with you and like friends or like people around and then what was like the internal kind of conversation you were having with yourself um, I, I kind of figured you would ask this question. I was actually like mentally preparing myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the day the news broke, I was sitting in, I remember exactly what it was. Um, because I, I honestly, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this now, but I don't really care. It's kind of what a lot of people were doing, but I, I idolized Jack Scott. He was the cult leader. Right. I, everything he said was from God. That's how I believed it, you know? And, right. uh, so I was sitting, I was think I was doing um, online courses because I wanted to finish early. I was sitting in the day room and uh, I forget if I had the TV on or not. And uh, um, one of the teachers, Missy Cogley, I believe was her name. She was one of the um, Christian womanhood teachers or whatever. She came in and she broke the news. And I, I actually immediately like kind of broke into tears. I was just like, hmm. I couldn't believe it. And then I, I didn't. I don't, I don't think I did believe it wasn't true though. I, I definitely was like, it's gotta be true. Right. And then all the news kept coming out and um, I forget what exact questions yours were on this. I was kind of just in just, shock. I, I guess just really what the general dialogue, was there m- majority around you saying like, Oh, there's no way. Or was it just a somber mood on campus? Like, I guess. I definitely what, feel like it was more somber. And it's just more like quiet and and sad. Um, for, for example, I was I worked at that time. I worked at a sales job because I, I didn't do the telemarketing like a lot of the Hiles Anderson girls did. Um, I sold newspaper subscriptions to the Chicago Sun Times. Um, it was where a lot of the students worked, and I stood inside grocery stores and I'd stop people and sell them. I was one of those annoying people. <laughs> Okay. Um, and I, I was, I was over by the church working at one of the stores there like a week after it happened. And it was on the front page in the newspapers. It was on the front wow. page. And, um, this woman who was obviously part of the church and you can tell, um, she's wearing like a ankle length skirt and, and I stopped her and, and like, she, we both like had like a moment and we both like cried. Like if we couldn't believe like this was something that a person who was, I guess, our, our leader would do, you know? Right. But I def- it was definitely more of a, of a sadness across campus. Like, what do we do now? <laughs> right. And so what, what, from that point to the point, because you mentioned that that was kind of like the, the incubus to like really question, like, why am I doing this? What's keeping me here? Um, how long was that process of like wrestling through like that thought? Like, why am I doing this? What's driving me? Like, why am I actually living this life? Like what's, what's the background? What, how long was that process for you? Um, I feel like it, it was after that, it probably took about six months to a year and, okay. and it was more of a slow burn because when I was still in basic training for the Air Force, I still kind of had some beliefs and I wasn't completely, you know, I was like, well, God's a thing and <laughs> this is my faith or whatever, but it's definitely was more of a slow burn. Some of that could be like one of your previous interviewees said, like we were, we were taught since we were kids to 
to always pray and to always, you know, believe. So it kind of maybe that could have been the remnants of that, what was kind of right. habits that were, were pressed into my, my, my daily life, you know, I don't know. Right. But. And um, so, so when you left after graduation, you just started like kind of separating yourself. Did you leave your faith entirely? Did you still consider yourself Christian or religious or, I mean, I guess currently, do you do you hold on to any of that, or is it kind of completely like set away and set aside? So what I'm what I'm most uh, I definitely still like like I said in basic training I still had some some beliefs, but lately I you know because uh, I had to read the Bible cover to cover ever since I was a kid, and there's a there's just some verses that I can't I can't get on board with and. I don't know if, you know, if my faith is still there or anything, but there's a verse in the New Testament that says, if a man lies with another man, um, he shall not have a place in the kingdom of heaven. And I've just, you know, if God, if God makes people have those kind of desires and then says, by the way, you can't get into heaven if you have those desires. I just don't, I can't get on board with that, but I still don't know if the Bible is exactly what God says. You know, the Bible, everyone says the Bible was written by man, but I'm like, since we were taught King James version growing up and, and everything like the Bible was God speaking to you. So like, how can I get on board with this, this, this whole thing? If the very book that God speaks to you with says that, that, that those people don't have a place where he's at. I'm like, that's not fair. <laughs> right. So it's still a, so it's still an active kind of period of discovery and, and exploring yeah. what that really looks like. For sure. Definitely. And I, I was, I was thinking like, you know, in your, all your interviews, the last question you ask is, is, uh, what would you say to someone today? And I honestly was like, man, I still don't know what I believe, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, I think that's good. I mean, I think it's good to be honest with that. And like, I think there are, there's so many people that like leave and like never think about that aspect at all and like regardless of where i mean this show has such a diverse group of listeners and i mean even guests i mean like i've interviewed across the spectrum of people like atheists and agnostics and christians and you know literally like anyone you can imagine and it's like it's i think it's important to like regardless of what position you come from, like there's no denying, like anyone would tell you like your spiritual side is important. Yeah. And the spiritual, like, and, and I get worried for people who leave the movement or leave a destructive cult and they don't pay any more attention to their spiritual side at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds super like mystical and weird, but like, I do think, I do think that that's such an important part of the human experience. So it's concerning to me when people, uh, even if they're doing it to like protect themselves like mentally or protect their health, I think it can be detrimental to like just storm out and leave it behind completely or leave behind the pursuit of truth. We talk about that on every show and it's like kind of been an accident, but now it just like finds its way in every episode. But like, I think that pursuit of like, what is the truth? you know, obviously that environment wasn't it. So what is it, you know? Um, I definitely can agree. Like that's what I did at first because right. I'm, you know, we went 
went through a lot. Like there's a lot of trauma. Yeah, that's that's that instant reaction. You know what I mean? It's like I was hurt by something that looks like this. So anything that looks like this, I'm going to avoid. Like that's that's a basic evolutionary survival trait <laughs> that people mm-hmm. pick up. You know, um, you know that's I talk about that with my wife all the time. Is like I I struggle. You know, we you know we still attend a Southern Baptist church, and I. I, I always struggle with like putting my kid in nursery. I said, it's not because I don't, it's not because I don't trust these people. It's that I don't trust any church nursery. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, that's sad that I feel that way. But I said, I, once you know that that bubble's been burst, like it's very hard to just act like it's not, yeah. you know? And so, um, yeah, I think the instant reaction is to just guard yourself from everything. But I think it's so important to like, just study out, like study out, abuse study out spirituality study out like what people did and what people taught and um i'm i mean i'm happy to hear that you're still kind of wrestling through that and mm-hmm. you know and and thinking through those things so what what was the process like um you know obviously you you said that you you came out to your parents um and i know that's a that's probably not a super happy exciting story was that even a conversation that was had or was it just something that kind of happened or was that, um, what was that experience like? Um, cause that is, I mean, that is a big, that's like one of the things that people would cut you off for in a lot of those circles. Oh yeah. Um, so I guess, um, back my sisters, my, my siblings and everything weren't surprised. They were like, Cause when I was a kid, I guess my dad would always try to, my dad would always catch me like trying to shave my face and stuff. Okay. <laughs> and like, I don't know. Cause you, you, you know, a lot of kids these days, cause they don't really have a gender attached to them. A lot of times, a lot of times you'll see, you know, little girls doing playing with dump trucks, you know, that's not a big right. deal. Um, and so I don't know if it was that, or if I was, you know, really struggling at that time. I've also thought about, this is kind of on that topic, but the same, like, I've seen a few transgender men come out of uh, IFB um, backgrounds because of, and I don't know if that's because, you know, the whole time I was taught that women are to be silent, women don't have any power. So maybe I'm subconsciously saying, oh, being a woman sucks. <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> and right. I don't know. Um, so it, I did come out to them back like, three years ago, but for, I didn't even, I've been, I've not been a kind of patient person with my family. I feel I'm always just like drop the mic. Like this like, is who I am. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed a lot of my fellow transgender friends seem to um, be a little bit better at easing their families into it. <laughs> right. Um, so I just came out and I was like, Hey, uh, I want you to call me Austin now. And they were like, Oh, so does this mean this? And I was like, yep. Does this mean you're, you're, you're going to be a dude now? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> hmm. And, uh, and so we kind of had our, our, we stood our ground. Um, and I was like, well, you're going to call me this or I'm not going to hang out with you. And so they said, well, we can't call you this, so you can't hang out with us. And I was like, okay. And then, um, as it progressed, you know, I obviously went through a lot of physical changes and, and it became too hard to deny. And, um, my family, um, so what happened this past year, my, my older brother passed away, um, in his sleep, like super suddenly. And I went, went to the funeral and people in the church, um, from the IFB church that I grew up in, people that had me in the nursery and 
taught me when I was all going through the, the super Christian school that they had, um, they didn't recognize me. <laughs> they were like, right. are you, they thought my parents had another kid. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that, that kind of helped us um, put aside our differences as well. And I know my parents, um, they pause probably still think I'm delusional and, but I'm really happy. And it's kind of like, we've, we've kind of decided to find common ground, I guess. And that's where we're at now. Right. Um, I think, I think you said something interesting and like, I mean, uh, I, uh, your perspective is is so different like as far as like the way that you're experiencing things so like for me I wouldn't have thought of it this way but like you you talk about the treatment of women in the IFB and like the potential like that question of like are you just is there some part of you that's being reactionary to that and I think that's a really interesting that's a really interesting question um, and I, I guess what, what was the experience of being a woman in the IFB? Um, you know, I've talked, I've talked to a few people on the show and, and heard a little bit of that perspective, but like we got the Christian college perspective from, you know, a guy in the IFB, like being a preacher boy, like what was it being a girl at, at Hiles Anderson, um, and attending in a extremely like, for lack of a better word, patriarchal kind of setup, um, you know, what, what was that experience like? Well, a lot of the times I felt powerless. Right. I mean, as I've always been a very bold, unapologetic person, um, when it comes to social interactions so half the time you know this is probably something super simple and small but like you know how the whole courting thing Hiles Anderson the whole when you get there they want to hook you guys they want to get you together so you can go out and serve in the ministry right (laughs) so I would just be sitting there and I'm like how come the guys the only ones that get to ask people out I want to ask the dudes out and I'd be like why do they get to do it and then I, I, I can't like have a choice of like the dude and like what if I just want to ask a dude out? Why can't I just ask him out? I just be like pissed the whole time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because my, all my pretty girlfriends were getting the dates and I was just like, this is stupid. <laughs> right. For sure. <laughs> and then of course the whole, like I was saying before the Christian womanhood classes, like why can't the women say amen in church? Why can't the girls preach? I always wanted to do that too. <laughs> right. Right. Now, what? So what were the options? Like what did you actually graduate with a degree for uh it was a bachelor's of science and i was uh, secondary education i believe and my it was uh, music and and, and biology for my majors okay i knew that secondary education would be in there somewhere that's like the (laughs) go-to oh yeah you can only do that (laughs) or um or like a secretarial like assistant type role yeah um yeah no that's interesting um and then i guess on the flip side of that too is like so you, you guys didn't attend the church. You just attend the college. And it sounds like you went to church in a different state. And you don't have to mm-hmm. tell me the name of the church if you don't want to say that on the show. Um, but um, what was the you, – you briefly touched on, like, sexuality. And, like, repressed sexuality, I think, is such a common theme when discussing this particular movement. What were the conversations 
about sex with within like independent Baptist circles that you were in, were they literally just the extent of what you said earlier with like the Rose kind of conversation or was it, was there any kind of conversation about like the roles of like sexuality and like, and how to express sexuality? Oh, there was nothing like that, you know? Um, and in my high school growing up, um, they did the Rose thing in the chapel services and you, it was just something you weren't supposed to do until you were married. And um, the people who did do it, like there was a lot of people in my high school who there was, um, since we're, since it's abstinence, abstinence education, of course, people are going to get pregnant. Um, hey. So two of my classmates, I believe one of one, a uh, couple in the class above me, this two, two girls got pregnant and they were kicked out immediately and they were made an example. Um, what they did was sinful and they're going to have a horrible life. And that's what they were talked about in the chapel services. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. As, as far as expressing sexuality, I definitely think women had to wear skirts and cover themselves up so the men weren't be tempted. That's, that's the main part I can remember. Right. Hmm. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's so much. I mean, so like I've, for me, the Hiles first Baptist, first Baptist of Hammond experience is like, I've read a ton on I've, I've, but I'm just so, I'm just so curious. Cause like when you're on the outside looking in, especially like now, like where I'm really on the outside looking in, it's like, it just seems so odd. <laughs> it just seems so like, they just stand out as like being so extremely cultish. And so like, mm -hmm. it's interesting, like it's interesting, like talking to someone who was there mm -hmm. in the height of that, that craziness. And like, it's just, it's just interesting. And like, I'm honestly like surprised there's not like some weird, like, yeah. And then at this time we all, like all the people in the college went down to the basement and put on the robes and lit the candles and like, it got, <laughs> it got really weird. Um, but it, but it just seems like, I mean, I just circle back. Like I know there's so many buzzwords that like probably like make me sound like I'm saying something I'm not, but like, I think repression is just kind of a keyword that I keep circling around when I talk about that school and in church, just to, not even necessarily just like sexual repression. Cause I'm not saying like, I'm not saying they should teach that like everyone just goes and does whatever they want, but I'm just saying like, it's, it's really, it's just really interesting. Like the way they deal with problems is just be quiet about it. Like, and you know, like, okay, we don't want to give, you know, we don't want to give women a platform. So like just conceal women as much as possible, mm -hmm. or we don't want people having sex. Like, let's not talk about it. Um, which obviously there of all places didn't solve the problem. Nope. Um, it just, people just bottle stuff up until it explodes into something that's like 30,000 times worse than what it could have been otherwise. Um, what, I guess what would you say, and I, I know you kind of briefly touched on this, but like, what would you say to someone who's like maybe attending right now and is sitting there thinking like, I don't feel like I have a voice here. I don't feel like I'm able to like be who I want to be. I don't feel like, I don't feel like this is set up for my good. It's like I'm a pawn in some grander scheme of their design. 
like, what would you say to someone who's like attending a place like that? Um, I'm just curious to hear your, your perspective. Oof, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think about when I was, I was back then, I was there back then and, and what I was. And that's, that's the hard I part needed. too, is like when mm-hmm. I ask that question to people it, to varying degrees is like the hard thing is like trying to think of what you would have listened to at that time. Yeah. If someone you're so, came and talked to you. You're so in it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it, I, I would right now me would say research, but then anything that person researched, you know, they're going to say it's not true or it's going to be right. someone lying to them or, you know, the right. devil, temp, the devil telling them. Yeah. Um, the main thing maybe would be, can you live the rest of your life like this? Um, Cause back then this is how the schedule was like, right? Um, every weekend we'd, we'd go cause that, that church is so adamant back then, at least they were about getting to Chicago and, and getting those bus kids to the church, you know? So I'd go to college right. and I, I'd go to college and then I'd work in the evenings and then I'd get to bed and get like four hours, five hours of sleep, wake up for class. And, and then Saturdays was, was, um, I'd, I'd wake up at 7 a.m. and go out to Chicago until like 6 p.m. And, and then Sundays I'd wake up. And I just, I feel like maybe focusing more on your self-care. Right. And, and since you, you probably, that person is probably not going to get out of the ministry because it's, you know, what God wants them to do. Um, maybe just realizing like, this is not something that I can keep up for the rest of my life. You right. Know? once you have kids and, and and maybe just focusing on that and, and what's best for you. Um, right. or maybe if, it, if it's just your diet or, or what do you like to do for fun? And maybe, maybe coming out of religion will be something that will come out of that. You know, you'll realize that, Hey, I like wearing pants as a woman. I, you know, that's what I like to do for fun. Or, right. And my, maybe that might help open your eyes a little bit. Yeah, I think I think you hit on a couple things, and like I think one of the things you hit on that's really applicable to, for sure, college students, like for sure, for sure, but also to people heavily involved in ministries. Like, I don't think enough people ask themselves the question of like, is this sustainable? Like, mm-hmm. can I maintain this pace and this like ferocious, like full speed ahead, like just go go go, yeah. on behalf of like essentially like essentially like the people in charge Mm -hmm. and and i think if most people are honest they say the answer is no um and so i think that is a super important thing that you hit on um it's just really like even if you are going to stay like like you know even if you do feel called to do something whatever that is like like if you're looking at from a christian perspective like like God's not going to call you to do something at the expense of your family and the expense of like, you know what I mean? Like your health. Yeah. Right. I mean, of course, like you may do some things that like, aren't going to give you like health and wealth necessarily, but like, it's also like, you're not going to do things like that hurt you just for the sake of showing that you're spiritual, I guess is the big thing. Um, like, yeah you're not you're not gonna essentially you're not gonna do things that literally just prove like i know especially 
with a lot of people I've talked to is like, it's sitting there and like thinking like, how many ministries can I take on to look as spiritual as possible or mm-hmm. to look like I'm, I've got it all together. And like, if you're doing that, like it's exhausting because there's hundreds of other people all doing the same thing. Yeah. And so you're kind of just at war with everybody else. I think that's one of the things that helped um, my sister. Cause my sister, she went to Hiles Anderson as well. She was two years below me and um, she we were, t- we went on a cruise this year and we were t- sitting there talking and I was like, I can't believe we both went there and now we're on a cruise together <laughs> right. and being normal people. And, uh, and she was like, I couldn't believe the schedule we had back then. She was like, we literally worked nonstop. And I think what helped her get out of it, which she was very, she's still very more religious, but what helped her kind of loosen up was she realized that she needed to slow down. Like, could you imagine the men back then too? They, they went night bus, so every Sunday night they'd fucking. Uh, sorry, uh, they go and <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> they go and preach and on the night bus, and they wouldn't get back until like two a.m. And then they had to go to school on Monday morning. I'm mm. like, Jesus, I can't believe you guys did that. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's so crazy. It seems so normal, like if you're in the middle of it. Yeah. But it's so weird when you look on the outside. Um, well, I, I usually wrap up with this question, and I'm curious to hear your answer. Um, do you feel like there's hope? for reform of the IFB movement or do you feel like it's kind of foundationally or fundamentally flawed and needs to be put to rest? Like where do you fall on that? Or do you really not know um, as far as what that looks like? I feel like there's definitely more hope as more, more um, like as more of like cases like recently with Ryder and Hiles comes out and our, as more, as our country kind of goes I know it's, it's, it seems like we're not going too far in the right direction, but as LGBT becomes more acceptable, people will start having friends and family members. For example, Mormonism. Uh, Mormonism used to be so anti-LGBT, and now a lot of Mormon members are having family members that are, that are part of that community. And the Mormon leader recently had a revelation, quote-unquote, <laughs> that... LGBT uh, is now acceptable. <laughs> right. I, he got out the, he got out the eraser. <laughs> yeah. So I think as our country, you know, as, as the world is kind of evolving and changing, IFB will slowly become less popular because people will start to realize like, man, living like that nylons, skirts, it sucks. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I think, I think that there's a lot of a lot of good shifts that can happen. Um, and I think the biggest thing, like, I, I guess the biggest thing is, like, there's this, and, and I see this as just, like, it's what I said earlier, is, like, just pursuing, like, really just loving on people and really just not sacrificing relationships over, like, disagreements of how someone else chooses to live their life yeah and i think that that's one of the biggest things that i want to see um happen is like you know there's going to be people that disagree with or have religious beliefs or theological differences but can you sit down and like not just be hateful or shut off dialogue you know can you actually sit down and have a conversation with someone and like respect them as a human being even though they may not agree with everything you agree with and, and like common ground somewhere. Exactly. Which is kind of like 
the American dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's really awesome. And I think like, that's one thing I'm trying to do with this show is just like facilitate conversations where like, obviously there's common ground with like a lot of trauma and things that are like really not positive, but also on the show, like show that there's people from literally all different backgrounds and walks of life who, you know, all have that common like need and, and like right to dignity, respect and a voice in the conversation. And like, anyone who's ever experienced like a negative experience within the IFB has a right to come forward and share and, you know, find others who are there to love them, support them and, and encourage them as they, as they continue to grow. Cause like life's messy and we're all, we're all, you know, that sounds like a super evangelical buzzword, but like, <laughs> you know, life is messy and we're all doing life together. I'll hit another buzzword, but like, I think that it's so important to like really just be there for each other and, and keep moving on. So like, I appreciate you, you sharing your perspective and, and sharing your yeah. story. And I think that's, you know, I think it's going to be really helpful to to people listening. So I, I really yeah. appreciate that. I'm really happy to to kind of share it. Hopefully uh, other people will kind of get something from it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for, for jumping on. Um, actually jumping into another interview here in like two minutes. Um, right. Is there anything else that you you want to add to the episode that you haven't said already or you feel like we're we're good you want to sign it off i think we're good yeah awesome thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast if you appreciated the content on the show please leave a review on itunes and don't forget to connect with us on facebook instagram or twitter with the handle at preacher boys doc additional information can always be found on preacherboysdoc.com You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.